0: welcome to another episode of the Haskin cast podcast i am your host scott haskin and okay before we get into today's album review which we're talking about debbie gibson's second album electric youth 1989 another double platinum success this actually would be her uh most successful album but as i said before we get into that here's here's the insanity um First of all, I'm very, very happy to announce that Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast, Well, I just hit my straw, Uh, Uriah Heap, the Magician's Podcast, that's how excited I am, Uh, reached over 100,000 downloads and streams, which is very exciting to me. Um, That just happened today as I'm recording this, which is about a month before you're going to hear it. And um, that was huge. Thank you so much to everyone who listened, who streamed, who recommended the podcast. Um, you know, uh, that every single play counts. And um, yeah, that's not lost on me. So that's one very exciting thing. Um, where things got a little derailed. Uh, a lot of times I tried to record at least a couple of weeks ahead of time, um, knowing that I was going to be moving the podcast and knowing that in July I was going to be busy moving the Magicians podcast to Anchor. Uh, or hoping to, because I still haven't done it yet in my real time, by the time that this airs, that should all be done. Um, I was concerned uh, about time. So I recorded a bunch of episodes for this podcast ahead of time, had everything lined out with Cherry Red Records and the release dates, everything was scheduled, uploaded, done, ready to go. And then I noticed that the release date for the John Lawton uh, double CD was delayed. And that's two episodes. So now that should have aired Uh, a while ago. And of course, it didn't, because the release date changed. Now, of course, by the time you're hearing this, it's very possible it may have changed back or may have changed again to something earlier. As I'm recording this, I have August 4th as the release date. So I'll be releasing CD one on August 3rd, CD two on August 4th on the release date. Um, They were hoping that it would get moved back, I would imagine it's a production issue. Um, That does tend to happen a lot. So um, as of the time I'm recording this again, um, that has not aired, but should start airing tomorrow if the date hasn't changed. If it has changed, then it's already aired and it doesn't matter. But what I realized was that because of the delay in the date that left a Wednesday gap for this podcast and then there would have been no show. You guys would have thought, oh, okay, well, it's being moved. It's off the air for the month and we're good to go. And then you would have missed the John Lawton episode. So I had to throw in another episode and I thought, well, I wanted to get to this album anyway. It was going to be one of the first ones I reviewed after the break. So why don't I just move that up the schedule and do it now? So that's where we are. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, uh, you know, you have to be on top of these things. And I'm really glad that I noticed the the date change and um, was able to stop it from airing before people, because it wouldn't have made any sense you know it would have been very confusing and then people would have been like wait a minute it's a month from now that it's being released and we can't get it now i already ordered it or whatever just better to do things as they should be done so i rearranged everything renumbered all the episodes changed all the file ids changed everything on uh, podbean and got it all set up as i'm sitting here i'm just hoping that it stays as it is and i don't have to go back and rearrange everything cuz then this episode will make no sense um yeah fun you know that's how how podcasts work um but, you know, I'm I'm so excited to bring you those two episodes for uh, the John Lawton Celebration because they are really cool. Uh, lots of cool stuff on there, especially if you're if you're a fan and you like, you know, like the hidden bonus tracks and unreleased stuff. There's some really surprising things on there that I didn't expect. I didn't know about. And I had a lot of fun recording those. So uh, if those haven't aired yet, awesome. There it is. Uh, they'll air tomorrow and the next day. Um, when we come back from break, I've already got the first two episodes recorded, um, for that. I did, uh, an album review, Corey Morissette from not only backtracks Aerosmith revisited and not only backtracks theme music, but also, and the podcast will rock and his new show that he's going to talk about when, when, uh, this, uh, episode I'm talking about airs. He challenged me to do a review of a band I'd never heard of. And I like doing that every once in a while. I mean, sometimes you have to expose yourselves to new elements, new art, put new things in your field of vision. I tend to be a comfort food guy, especially when it comes to art. Um, The minimal time I have to really just relax and listen to something or, you know, watch a movie or whatever without other things going on. um, I I really kind of am just so tempted to go for things that I already know I'm going to enjoy instead of taking a chance and then feeling like well I just wasted an hour doing that because I didn't like it or or you know that movie was you know two hours long and and uh, didn't didn't get my two hours worth and now I I've kind of ruined that time so I tend to, to very much be a comfort food person um that being the case uh, I, it's always interesting when somebody wants to do something completely different and so um I'll tell you who it is it's the band Thunder and their album Backstreet Symphony um, when I have guests on, as you guys well know, we, we tend to talk a lot, um, especially if I'm learning about something I, I don't know anything about and I'd never even heard of these guys. So, um, did break that into two episodes. So, um, what I'm, what I'm kind of doing format wise going forward, if it works is instead of, um, you know, taking those episodes that are multiple episodes and saying, okay, well now I'm going to take like the whole month to, to, to. You know, display these four parts of this one show. Cause if that's not a project that you're interested in, that's like a whole month that this show's not going to interest you. So um, then I tried breaking it up, but then it was like way too far apart. Um, like you have a three part show and it might take six or seven weeks for all those to come out, trying to break it up and keep it interesting. So that I, I don't think really worked as well either. So what I'm doing now is, um, depending on if I have a release date, uh, event. So I'm going to try and schedule around those, but, uh, I'm going to just air them in succession. So if it's Wednesday and I'm airing the first part of this thunder episode, then Thursday I'll air the second part. So then you guys don't have to wait. You have an extra, uh, podcast to listen to. Uh, if you're interested in that project, if you like the first episode, then you've got the other one. You don't have to wait more than a day for it. Um, I think that might work better. I guess we'll see over time. Um, really don't have that many albums left to review. I think they'll probably go into, um, I want to say early to maybe first quarter of 2024. And then I've got a couple things I plan on doing. There's four bands that I'm digging into um, their catalog. Obviously, uh, Rainbow, Deep Purple and Whitesnake. Um, I'm digging into the entire catalog. We'll do all those studio albums. And then um, also we'll be doing some Metallica albums that I love. I kind of lost track of the band after the Black Album, so I plan on doing everything up to that, including Garage Days Re-Revisited. And so uh, apart from that, then I've got uh, what I want to do is song collection shows. So not uh, instead of doing albums, I'll do uh, shows like uh, these are songs that have that cool edge that I was talking about on so many episodes. Um, These are songs that make me happy. These are my favorite songs from the 60s, you know, shows like that. Um, So there'll be a lot of variety in each episode. You won't know what the songs are until you start listening, or I'll probably just put them in the show notes to make it a little bit easier to see if you're interested in in hearing me talk about any of those particular pieces. Um, So that's kind of where things are going to go for a while. I've got some other things potentially in the works, but nothing concrete yet. So as those things develop, uh, we will go into that. But as I'm sitting here right now, the plan is this episode comes out, then tomorrow and uh, Friday, we have the uh, Celebrating Life of John Lawton. And then if all went well moving the Uriah Heat podcast, I will go ahead and move this podcast over to Anchor as well. And then we'll be back in uh, early September. Uh, The first Wednesday of September is the 6th. And uh, if I'm able to get everything relinked fast enough, which I really don't know, because I've got 400 episodes or 398 episodes to do for the Magicians podcast. And then, um, you know, I'm up to 348 uh for this podcast. So, um that's a lot of stuff to uh to relink on multiple parts of social media as well as my website. <sighs> yeah, I I should be done by the end of August. If I'm done earlier, I'll bring in a bonus show, but it does look like uh wherever you're listening to this show now, Stitcher is is closing uh sometime in August. So, if you're listening on Stitcher, you'd have to do this anyway. Uh, but the app, uh, that you guys are listening through the link for this show is done through Podbean. When I switch it over to anchor, that will change to anchors version. So you'll have to unfortunately, um, go ahead and, uh, close that one out and then find the new version of the show. And uh, I'll have the, the links as soon as I get them on the main page of the website. Uh, for the podcast as well. But um, that will be where you'll find any ongoing episodes. So if you're, you know, if it's like middle of September, and you haven't heard a new episode, uh, make sure that you change to the link on your pod player. And that all being said, let's talk about Debbie Gibson's second album. Now, I did say quite a bit on the episode when I reviewed Out of the Blue, that the album felt um, it was very youthful to me. Um, it was a lot, it was very intelligent and very well done, but it was a lot of very youthful, idealistic versions of love and how life works and that sort of things. Because, you know, when you're like 15 years old, how much have you really experienced to understand? You can base it on, you know, adults in your life, friends, that sort of thing, some part your own experiences, but really our concepts at that age are very far off most of the time from how the world really is. So, um, this one comes out, Electric Youth. This came out right around the time that we uh we had moved to Colorado. We were we had to drive back to Michigan to settle a car accident case and um had to appear in court for that. So this came out right before that trip. So I got the cassette and I listened to this over and over. It's a it was a 26-hour drive each way. It's a lot of time to be in a car. And um I listened to this tape a lot. I also listened to, you know, Deep Purple and Rainbow and all that stuff that I was listening to at the time. This would be, um, about a year, almost a year before I would get into new age music because it was the following, um, Christmas season when one of my coworkers bought me that private music sampler and, uh, just absolutely fell in love with Patrick O'Hearn's music and some of the other stuff on that album. Um, heard Yanni for the first time, uh, really, really cool stuff. So anyway, this, this was when I was really all about like Uriah Heep, Deep Purple. Um, I hadn't even heard Queen's Queensryche yet. Um, I was into Metallica, but that was the heaviest that I knew. Um, yeah, a whole different time. So I, I wish I could go back and hear this for, for the first time or remember hearing this for the first time and what my impressions were at the time. I know that I enjoyed the album very much. I couldn't judge it critically. I could just take it at face value. And, um, or whatever the audio term is for face value, um, ear value doesn't seem right. Uh, maybe face value applies, but, um, yeah, it was, it was a great album. I listened to it. I I'm surprised the tape still worked by the time that I got back home. I'll just put it that way. In fact, my little suitcase of cassettes had, um, severely worn by the time that, uh, that we got home from that trip. Um, let's get into the first song. Like I said, this album did go double platinum, which is fantastic. Congratulations, Debbie. Uh, two albums, double platinum each. Uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. Our opening song is exactly four minutes long, and it's called Who Loves You, Baby? really love the energy in this song. I think it's a great album opener. Um, it's, it's kind of a, you know, what you hear is pretty much what the whole song is. There's a bridge in there, but I I never really felt like there was anything particularly special about the bridge. It's just kind of another part, but it doesn't really stand out to me. Uh, there is a nice sax solo because of course, you know, Debbie is a big fan of the saxophone as we heard on, um, out of the Blue. Um, but I, but it's the energy of this song, like the pitch she's singing in the energy she's singing with, that's really what makes it because musically, uh, it's okay. Um, you know, it's, like I said, it's a good opener. It's got a good beat, some good energy to it. But, um, I think for the most part, it's a, it's a fairly, um, plain song apart from that. It's really not until her next album, um, that I'll get into, uh, sometime after the break where all of a sudden she just, to me became the queen of bridges. Uh, she just wrote some that like I would just go back and listen to the bridge a couple times because it was that good. Um, or I would fa- like a song would start. i be like, OK, I really don't feel like listening to this, but I want to hear the bridge. And I would go straight, you know, straight to the bridge. Why do I keep hitting my straw? I don't know. That's really weird. Um, but in any case, um, yeah, a decent song. I mean, it's it's one that uh, g- gets you up and uh, gets you moving, sets the tone for the album because this album does have some good energy on it. And um, we'll move on to song number two, one of her most famous tracks. The first one that I heard from her, this is called Lost in Your Eyes. Such a beautiful song, it really is. I mean, it may seem so cliche, um, just that kind of as a catchphrase, but but honestly, this is such a beautifully written and performed song. The lyrics are fantastic. There's a reason that this was such a, a huge hit for her. Uh, one thing that that I love is as the song kind of progresses, it just gets even more and more hopeful. You know, uh, no, she's basically saying like, no matter what I face, no matter how difficult life is, this will always be grounding for me this is always the thing that I can come back to and reset and feel like everything's going to be okay. And that's empowering. And I love that. And the, the music feels like it because the music kind of grows and feels more positive as well as, as, you know, kind of matching her voice, the way the strings come in, uh, the drums are, are really nice and solid in this song. Um, just a really, really amazing piece of music. If, um, if, if there were like, you know, I, I'm not big on these, like, you know, top 10, this top 20, that whatever. I think it's all a bunch of bullshit. But if, if you were to say like some of the greatest love songs of all time, I would I would have to say that this would be it. But the interesting thing about this song to me is that I've never really found a partnership in it. You know, what I mean by that is I don't know that this feeling that she has for whoever she's singing this to, is actually reciprocated. I mean, this could easily be somebody that she's staring at across the room or at a bus station or a restaurant or prom or, you know, whatever, and actually has never even spoken to. But she's just, she just finds them so encapsulating, then she's just absolutely in love with this person that she might not even know. The song really doesn't define that at all to me. What do you guys think? really take, check out the lyrics and see what you think. See if you think that this is a a love that's just being thrown out there into the air to see what happens. Or maybe she's too shy to even speak to the person, or maybe it's somebody that she's in a relationship with. I don't know. I'd be curious to know what you guys think. So, um, let me know. Uh, You can go to the Haskin cast podcast page on Facebook, and there'll be an entry there for this episode, or also my Instagram, the Haskin cast podcast, uh, either of those places are great. I do see those notices when they come up. Uh, thankfully I'm no longer on Twitter. So I don't even bother trying to find me there. It was a uh, cesspool of horror <laughs> and not the kind of horror that I like. Um, but yeah, absolutely beautiful song. This was the song that I heard that I just said, you know what, if I like this song this much, there's got to be something else I'll like. I- I'm not going to get the single cassette. I'll just go ahead and get the album. And I did. And, uh, you know, that became a, uh, a big part of my journey because it showed me a different style of writing than I was used to. Um, I, I didn't really listen to a lot of pop music outside of that early eighties period. And that was like the synth wave stuff. So this was a lot different and um, it just approached music differently. And it was her passion for her songs and everything too, um, that really kind of set it apart for me. And so hearing the song, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to get the album because I'm guaranteed to like some more. And, uh now I know four of her albums very well. And then it was another one of those things where I'm like, it was a long time between her releasing albums. She went and started doing Broadway. I kind of lost that connection. And um when she came back, I never really checked anything out. So um who knows? Maybe I will at some point. Um I listened to some clips of the Christmas album that she did and I I didn't really uh I didn't really vibe with it. I, I didn't know the songs that she picked, a lot of them. So I was like listening. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. This doesn't really have that Christmas feel, but this was in June. It's like a hundred degrees out. So I don't know, maybe when it gets closer to the holidays, I'll, I'll give it another spin and, and we'll see. Uh, but let's move on to our next song. This is called Love in Disguise. pretty decent um it's got some really good energy to it um i'm glad that she didn't go like really slow and gloomy with this song because i I don't think it well i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to compare it because i haven't heard what that would have been like but i like where the song is as far as that goes um i think what i what i don't like about the bridges well i I don't mind them but they don't stand out to me as much as because some of them are just the the whole song just flows right into it it's four lines in and out like this song Um, and, and it doesn't really, you know, it doesn't set anything apart in the song. It doesn't really do anything for the song except just change the feel for just a few seconds and, uh, gives a good lead into like a chorus or a solo. There is a pretty good guitar solo on here. Um, but there's some things in the drums that I don't like, like there's a a snare roll over an electronic drum roll at one part. And I'm just like, yeah, that's, that's the kind of stuff where it just reminds me that this is all programmed and, and doesn't, you know, it's not played. And, um, certainly I would think that by this point, having a, a come off of a double platinum album, she could have easily hired a drummer. Like, if she wants to do scratch tracks, that's fine, but bring a live drummer in, you know, um, let's, let's make this album, right. You know, if you want them to play an electronic kit, that's fine. But some of the stuff I'm hearing was either overdubbed or probably just programmed. And so that's a little bit of a downer for me, uh, for an artist like her. I think she, she could have gone the extra mile on that, um, but that's just my opinion. Um, you know, those were really popular at this, this time. Um, from the early 80s to like the late 80s, electronic drums were, were not uncommon in songs, um, but often played by people. That's, I guess, where the difference is for me. Um, yeah, it's a decent song. It's kind of repetitive. A, a lot of stuff, I think, on this album, I'll, I'll probably end up saying that about as I'm looking through the, the track list. Um, and, and I said, I think, the same thing about um, Out of the Blue. But it's a it's a pretty good song. It's got good energy. It's a it's a good uplifting song to come from, uh, you know, coming off of Lost in Your Eyes, which was while it was uplifting, the tempo was a little bit lower. So you kind of need to to pump that energy up a little bit. So good, good idea on on the placement there. And our next song is called Helplessly in Love, kind of a theme. She does tend to write long choruses and then repeat them. So maybe that's part of it, too, is that they just seem like so much longer um, instead of just saying them once you've got longer lines and then you repeat them. So it really makes the chorus long, makes the song feel a little bit more repetitive, uh, but it's pretty decent. Um, this one actually does have a good bridge in it. I, I had forgotten that, but it, there's I don't like the transition into it because it doesn't really stand out just kind of flows from the song right into the, you know, without like a break or anything to make it stand out and set it apart. Um, but it's, it's a nice bridge. And then it goes into a pretty decent guitar solo really kind of reminds me of like guitars that you would hear in the 90210 theme. It just has that tone on this album. And, um, ever since I had made that connection, I kind of can't unhear that. And now I've probably ruined it for you too. So thanks for tuning in, but, um, yeah, pretty decent song. Uh, again, good energy. Um, she's uh, got some really good passion in it, but it's kind of repetitive. And um even though it's only four minutes and ten seconds, I think they could have easily chopped a minute off of this song and made it stand out a little bit more, made it a little more enjoyable. Maybe a slight pause before the bridge or something to, you know, just kind of make that stand out a little more and and say, hey, a change is coming and instead of just, oh yeah, we're in the change, which is kind of I guess that's the difference. Like there's really no um no cue, no, Hey, something special is about to happen. We're going to change things up. It's just, okay, now I'm singing this now I'm singing that. And that's not dynamic enough to me. I I, I want a little bit more. I want something to stand out. And I don't mean to be mean. I mean, again, she's still very, very young. She's like 16 or so writing these songs, but on her next album, like I said, and we'll talk about this when we get there, she found that stride. I really think she, she really found a way to structure songs a lot better. Um, I think that was the album when she started working with Lamont Dozier. I'm not sure. Maybe it was this one. Uh, but in any case, uh, yeah, decent song. W- well worth listening to just a little long for me. Um, speaking of long, uh, the title of our next song is called "Silence Speaks a Thousand Words. It's a lot of words. <laughs> So we're getting a little bit of a change in sound in this one. We've got some flute, which we haven't heard before. um, Very nicely played. Uh, We get a flute solo as well. And I forgot all about the bridge in this song. It's actually right on par with the kind of stuff I really like on her next album. Um, There's like a a brief pause right before it starts into the the bridge. And I don't mean that that needs to be done in every song, but just some kind of signal, you know, Um, but it goes into a very nice and well-written bridge and then uh, into the flute solo, which is really cool. And one thing, uh, another thing I like about this song, and I forgot to mention this on our last song, um, Helplessly in Love, is I love her harmonies. Like her vocal layering is spectacular. And that is something that I think is really, the way she does it is very signature for her and um, really enhances the song a lot without being, you know, kind of ridiculous because sometimes that kind of thing can get a little bit old, too, if it's done the same way on every song. But she changes it up a lot and keeps it interesting. So that's another thing I really like about her music, um, at least in this period. But um, yeah, Silent Speaks a Thousand Words, good song. I, I like the the change up in the instrumentation. You know, we're not quite to the half point of the album yet. So it's good to hear some different sounds and kind of keep things a little bit fresh. If every song just had a sax or guitar solo, um, it might get a little stale because in in rock music, you're a rock band, and there's either going to be a keyboard solo or a guitar solo. That's the setup of the band. But with pop music, they rely on keyboards so much a lot of times that it just seems like you should be utilizing those sounds and giving a little bit more variety. And um, yeah, that's just kind of, I guess, my expectation, whether that's right or wrong, I don't know. But that's what I like to hear anyway. So let's go to our next song. This is called Should Have Been the One. This one is definitely my least favorite song on the album. Um, it It's very repetitive. There's nothing really that changes much about it. It just kind of has a guitar intro, but then it goes from like vocals to a sax solo to vocals and a sax solo and it doesn't ever really seem to go anywhere, which is a shame because I, I like the idea of it. I like the feel of it. Um, definitely has a very 80s pop sound to it. I mean, it's perfect for the era. But it just, I, I just felt like with her writing abilities, even where she was at at this point, there's so much more that could have been done with this song. It could have changed directions. It could have had, um, you know, a, a, at least one dynamic part in it that was something different to listen to. And I really just don't feel like it delivered that. And that's a shame because it's, it's cool, it's, it's got a good groove and everything. I like the percussion. She's really good at percussion. I don't know if I've mentioned that um, in this episode before. I think I talked about it a little bit in Out of the Blue, but she does a lot of really cool percussion. And, um, you know, between like that and the sax solos and the guitar solos, those are really cool things that help make a song. But it was it just wasn't really enough to to push this through. and the guitar at the beginning almost makes no sense because it doesn't really get that much feature through the rest of the song. It becomes saxophone after that. So it kind of either should have been maybe a sax intro or bring the guitar back in, which would have actually been cool because then it would have given us that other dynamic that I'm looking for. But it's, I don't know, this song is almost too simple and just kind of just flows in the same circle. It doesn't really go anywhere. Um, So, but that's all right. It happens. Our next song is the title track of the album. It is called, as you might guess, in a very popular tune, Electric Youth. So this song is not about the perfume electric youth that came out based on the popularity of this song. Um, here's the thing, like I really dig this song. There's a lot of cool things about it. There's so many dynamics that are melodic and percussive at the same time. You've got some of those you know, li- little zap sounds on the synth that I really like for a song like this. I don't think I've really used those much in my pieces, but I'm pretty sure I have uh, in a couple of songs, at least for a fact but uh yeah so it's rhythmic it's it's melodic and some places those things join i hate that first line zapping it to you that's always bothered me um that seems like a very um what like a 60s-ish psychedelic thing almost but that line i have always thought like there could have been something better there but the rest of the song is really good the the thing that i don't like about it is that there's some really cool parts in here okay uh, which i I like, I like that we go into different segments of the song. we have a bridge, we have another part that's that's uh you know like a synth crazy part, and then we have like a part where you could have like a dance piece I think there was in the video um and then going back into the chorus again, but the problem for me is that the chorus itself really feels copy and paste um a song like this, I think the chorus should escalate. The problem is you have to start out because the song is so energetic, you have to start out. With a good, strong first chorus, it has to be energetic. It can't be, yeah, we're going to get there kind of thing. Like you're already there based on the song. So by the time you get to the first chorus, it already has to have a good amount of energy to it. That doesn't leave you a lot of room to build up in the other choruses. Um, There are some things you could have done. You could do a key change. You could go up. um, You could add a couple of layers of instruments or maybe vocals or something. But um, it would have been hard to pull off live, maybe. I don't know. But in any case, um, yeah, that's the one thing that I really think that the song should have escalated a little bit more. And the other parts did like as those parts come in, it, the song gets more dynamic, it gets cooler, more interesting, more exciting. But then the chorus comes in and we're like right back to that same level we were at before. So that would be the only criticism I have of the song. Apart from that, I think it's fantastic, very energetic. I love the message of it, too. Um there's there's a lot to be said. I think for every generation, and as every generation comes and goes, and the ones that still exist, they all have an importance. They really do. I mean, you look at the the impact that Elvis and Little Richard and people like that are still making. The Beatles, Jimi Hendrix, they're still making an impact. I mean, you know, as as we have new generations coming up, they're being as equally fascinated by these artists as people were in those days and have been through each generation. So they have their relevancy. Bands like Zeppelin, Deep Purple, Sabbath, Uriah Heep will always have that relevancy as well. The youth is the current thing, and that's the exciting thing. At at some point, there has to be a, we want to learn from our ancestry of art and music and design and all these different things that we have in society, not just art, but, um, you know, uh, architecture and, and, um, you know, people who design plumbing systems, like all these things that, that, that as the generations go on, we need new people to come up with new ideas, to refresh things, make them more efficient, make them less expensive, make them last longer, all these things that we need. And each generation is going to provide some element of that. So the current generation, whichever one you're a part of that's current for you. And the ones that come up behind you are the hot thing, the hot commodity extremely relevant because they're carving what will be the next step. So it is a very, very important statement in this song. And, and I can appreciate that, but I also appreciate, I guess all of those components, all of the different generations and where we've come from. I mean, I think about my grandmother and, and, and grandfather growing up before there was electricity. in in homes is like a a major thing. And then watching through like the late stages of the depression, all the way through giant library size computers to things that you carry around in your pocket. And it just like all of those progressions that happened. It's really amazing when you sit down and think about it. But yes, she's right. Um, The youth is the current energetic thing. And um, they are strong and and coming forward and and building the future. So uh, very cool. Appreciate that too. Our next song up is called No More Rhyme. We're going to take it down a notch. Honestly, I'm surprised this made the album. I mean, we've got 13 songs. You could have cut one, no problem. But uh, the thing that strikes me about it is it's it's basically like the antithesis, I guess, of Lost in Your Eyes. It has that same piano feel to it. And, you know, if you're only going to have 12 or 13 songs on an album only, that's that was actually, this was the point where we were getting a lot of songs per album instead of just like the eight or nine that we had gotten, you know, back in the in the earlier days. But if you're going to have songs on an album, like, why would you have two that are so similar? So this is like a sad version of Lost in Your Eyes. But um, apart from that, just taking it on its own, it's a pretty nice song. Um, I like the bridge. I, I, this is kind of where she's starting to come into that. Um, I, and I have to apologize because I forgot how many bridges there actually were that I liked on this album um, until I actually started going through these songs again, because it's been a while. But um, the thing is, is that there's no builds. It's like I re- I'm repeating lines. I'm building towards something, but I'll just wait until I get there to take it to the next level. There's no buildup of music or vocals or layering or, or anything that makes you feel that ha- happen as it should progress. It's just kind of like, here's where we are now. Here's where we are now. Here's where we are now. Here's where we are. And doesn't have like a any any build where I, I really feel that that's what's missing. Um, again, very young songwriter. I'm, you know, 51 now. And I can honestly say that I look at this with a completely different set of eyes or, and ears than I would have when I was 15 or 16. You know, I was really not even a songwriter. I was I was writing songs as a drummer, but not a songwriter. So that being said, um, I, I don't want to sound like I'm being too hypercritical because I I do have to take into context where she was in her span at this point. But at the same time, she's also on her second double platinum album. So what am I talking about? Um, she's got producers, she's got people she's working with that could have made suggestions or demands. Um, all kinds of things could have happened. And for whatever reason, they ended up with this song in the album. As a listener, I just think it's kind of weird. But I do think the song is pretty cool on its own. If I take away that Lost in Your Eyes is on this album, just take this song as it is. I think it's a pretty cool song. Um, It really says something interesting, too, that you don't hear a lot, or at least I don't hear a lot in songs, because songs normally talk about the struggle and how tough it's been and how we made it, baby, and, you know, whatever. This song actually talks about it's been too easy the whole time, and you know, now we're coming at something and it's kind of destroyed us. And it, it, maybe because we hadn't had conflict in that whole time, like the first time we do, it destroys us instead of it being like, okay, well, there's a disagreement. We're learning to work together. At least that's what I get from it. That may not have been her intention in in the song, but that's what I'm getting from it as a listener. And um, I think that's actually a cool direction to take in a song, because like I said, typically it's about how hard it's been and how we've overcome it and how, um, you know, it's been bumpy and, you know, how tough we are and whatever. This is exactly the opposite of that. This is like, man, it's been so nice. And then boom, the first thing to come along here, we're done. No fight. I thought we had more than we did kind of feel really great concept. If that's not what that is, that's still a really great concept and someone should do that. Um, but it's a very nice song. I, I really like her vocals on it. It's good to hear her sing, you know, a song where she's excited like electric youth and then have a song like this and see the passion coming from both sides, the excitement and the sadness, but yet hear her still sing with power, still sing with great emotion on both ends. I really like that. Some singers really only do one side well, and I think she's very well-rounded in that aspect. Um, so yeah, cool song. Um, definitely cool song. Our next song is called over the wall. This is kind of a weird one for me because it's the one song that I kind of like it, but I really don't feel a lot of passion coming from her in this song. And it's funny because of what this always happens. I was just talking about how cool it is, whether she's singing a happy song or a sad song that she can sing with such passion. And this one, to me, it's kind of a blah performance. It's it's like, yeah, I want to be there, but I'm kind of not in a rush. Like, it'll be nice. But whenever I get there, I don't I don't really care. It's a weird song for me. Um, I like the music of it, though. Like the music, I think, delivers above the vocal, which it shouldn't. The music should support the vocal. But I think the music's actually got more energy on it than she does. And um, that's kind of what's throwing me off. Um, Another one that's not a favorite, for sure. I don't hate the song. Um, I think if it just had a little bit more of a passionate vocal delivery, uh, I think would be a better song. But for me, it just I'm just not feeling it. And um, if you do, great. That's awesome. I'm sure plenty of people do. I'm just not, and that's the way it is on this date. Um, but no, it's, it's kind of one that I've always felt that way about from the first time I heard it. I'm like, yeah, this kind of really feels just like an album track. Like, okay, we had to throw another one on. Let's hurry up and record it. Um, all the programming's done. you know, let's just get it on tape. Uh, maybe it was an end of the day song, I don't know. But in any case, that is over the wall. Our next song is "We could be together." This is a very um, straightforward song. And what I realize is she sings to a lot, like right on the the beat. There's not a lot of uh, variations in in her singing per verse, Uh, but that's okay. Um, It does get a little wary on my ears after a while, but this is a good song. It's got good energy to it. It is a little bit repetitive. Um, Another one where the song just goes right into the bridge. So it doesn't really feel very separated. It doesn't feel like the bridge stands out and gives you something different or a change of pace in the song. Um, you know, and this one's, uh, what five and a half minutes probably could have been chopped down to four, I would think. Um, but you know, uh, it it works as it is. Um, not bad, not bad. Again, um, the percussion and, and stuff really keeps the song going. And I think that's the strength of her music, um, aside from her vocal, I think that that's definitely a very, very important component in what she does. And, um, just trying to think through a little bit in the next album. And I'm pretty sure that that continues, but we'll see when we get there, when I get around to that next review, uh, for now, we're going to talk about our next song. This one's called shades of the past. those drum sounds (laughs) that first time that you hear the rim shot in the beginning of the song and you're just like this is this is going to be awful um the and these were like really good at the time i remember thinking even as a drummer who was always an acoustic player you know i didn't have a drum machine or anything like that at the time i did get one um just to program things and to play uh, along and try out things um really more as as a metronome that I could hear while I was playing uh, my acoustic kit. But, uh, that would come later in my life. But in any case, I, I just remember hearing these and thinking that they were pretty decent, but man, now they're so dated. Um, there's one thing that, that I love about this song and that's the mood of it. Just that cool mood that it has throughout the whole song, just those pad overtones. There's not like saxophones coming in all over the place. There's not a lot of, you know, dynamics, coming in it's just like a really flowy kind of song which is really nice to have on an album where I'm kind of already tired of hearing the saxophone which is not my favorite instrument anyway um I mean there's some great work on here don't get me wrong but um just not a sound I particularly like so um there's that and then uh the the do to dos I I've said this so many times that I I'm just never a fan of that um If you want lyrics in a place, put lyrics in a place. If you want to add to the melody or add a harmony to the melody with vocals, that's fine. I I very much welcome that. But just senseless words for the point of having words there. I I mean, you could go back to uh, when the Beatles were like, she loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, different songs like this. I just I've never been a fan of those kind of vocals. They, They really take things down a couple of notches for me. Um, especially if you have somebody who's an intelligent lyric writer and somebody who knows how to vocalize harmonies and vocalize melodies. And it it just it's just so sad to me. Um, Despite that, I actually like this song. I I really do. It's got a really nice tone. And like, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the songs that have that just cool edge to them. This isn't quite there. It's still got a little more warmth and a little cool. So I wouldn't put it on that quite on that list. But um, but I do love the tone of it. I love the feel of it. I think the vocals are really great. Um, aside from those lines that I was talking about, the, the main vocals where she's actually saying something, I think those are beautiful. Um, I also don't understand just those just random high pitch notes that we hear from time to time that aren't associated with words. Like if you're singing a word and you take it up into a high pitch, great. If you come in with a scream and you take it into a word or just have a good scream, OK, I'm fine with that. But just the uh, like the, the Mariah Carey style stuff, um, I don't I don't understand. I don't feel music that way. Now, I could understand a singer feeling that that way and why they would do that, because they're basically being an instrument at that point. But I, I don't know. It just. It, it, those have never sat well with me either. So despite all the things that I've complained about that I don't like there are elements in the song, I actually really like the song. I love the feel of it. And um, I love the, the singing vocals of it. Um, There's a lot of cool stuff here. I like the drums, even though I don't like the drum sound like I like what the drums are doing. I really like the bass. In fact, I haven't said it enough how great the bass is on this album. Um, I would imagine it's programmed, but there are some great bass lines on here. Programmed or not, the idea is still an idea. And um, I I really think there's some great stuff on here. So uh, that being said, overall, yeah, you know what? I dig the song. I, I really do. And it's nice to have something, again, that feels really different And we've had a couple of those in the second half of the album where, you know, we're getting some things that change. It's not an upbeat, a mid tempo, a low tempo, an upbeat, you know, it's it's just some things that are completely different altogether, which I really like. Um, As we're getting down to our last couple songs, uh, we are now getting into, I guess, the bonus tracks, um, which I didn't realize I had. Let's see. Yeah. Um, So why not uh, check those out really quick? uh this should be interesting this is we could be together okay so um to further my point on uh, what was it no more rhyme where i was talking about how it felt like electric youth there are actually only 11 songs on the proper album so to have 11 songs and have two of them that are so similar makes even less sense to me again great song but very similar to another song in the album so unless you're doing like an ab type thing showing. Here's one thing I can do with this type of melody. Here's another thing I can do with this type of melody. Um, I don't know, just really weird. Uh, and with less songs on the album, even weirder, but let's just check these out for fun. Uh, here is the campfire mix of we could be together.
1: talk in my own shoes i'll take this chance i'll make this choice i'll write this wrong i'll raise my voice even it means. we'll be together for a while well,
0: that's a little overproduced i think for a campfire mix i wouldn't expect so many delays like we had some delays on the percussion heavy delays on reverb on the vocals um, I would expect a campfire mix to be a little bit, um, more straightforward and, and I guess less affected because thinking about a campfire, you're not going to have those things out in the woods at a campfire. So I don't know that, that, um, has kind of a weird feeling also. Th- th- I mean, all the energy is completely gone from this. Um, I remember, you know, I'm not, I-, I wasn't intending to play these. I didn't realize I had them, but, um, I'm not a fan in general of like remixes and um, club versions and things like that. I I get the relevance of them. But when I hear like um, a disco beat to Dido's white flag and things like that, I'm like, it, you're killing the songs. I mean, it's I, why would you want to take a song that's really gut wrenching about how you can't be with this person who's right in front of you? You can't even talk to them. You're just devastated uh you're you're struggling, you're trying to find a way, and then put a fucking dance beat to it and playing it in a club. That makes absolutely no sense to me. Um another one was uh In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. I heard that with a dance beat. And I'm like, this is just so bad. You know, it, music is written for a certain reason and it has a certain relevance. And it's one thing to parody, but it's another thing to just completely destroy the point of the song. If you want a song that's happy and upbeat and has a dance beat, then just listen to a song or write a song like that why would you take a piece of art that has a specific intention and then just destroy it by making it fun and danceable while still delivering the same gut wrenching message? That makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, but in general, I don't really like the adding beats and and stuff to things. I don't mind a version like this so much because it's, it's really not doing that. It's just giving you a different, um, like a folk version of the song almost, but again, over affected. Um, I remember, We had a really cool record store in Michigan off of Harper and Nine Mile, I want to say, called uh, Car City Classics. And the cool thing about them was, you know, uh, tax at the time, I think was 4% in Michigan. Yeah, 4%. That's how long ago this was. And so they priced everything at like 96 cents or $1.92 so that everything with tax would come out to the even dollar, which was super cool. Made it way easy for purchasing. But the really cool thing about this store was that they got a lot of the stuff from radio stations, all the promo versions of albums, all the, uh, you know, uh, single like 12 or, you know, full 12 inch singles and all that would go to this store. So we would go in there and get all this stuff that as a collector, nobody else would have. Um, I remember getting a a couple different promos from the House of Blue Light. Like I had a a dual uh, 12 inch single version of Bad Attitude that had like a black label. Um, Yeah, I think I had one for Call the Wild also, Um, but we could get all this really cool stuff. And I remember they had, I I think it was even a picture disc, if I'm not mistaken. So this probably wasn't from the radio station, but it was a 12 inch um, extended version of Madonna's La Isla Bonita. And I loved that song. That was a huge song for me in the summer of 80, what would that be? 87. Um, when I heard it and, um, that was the last summer that we were in Michigan because we moved in April of 88. And, um, I remember just being so excited, but when I got it home and I listened to it and it was like 11, 12 minutes or whatever, I'm like, this is crazy. What else could there be? Um, and it was so much of that, just like program stuff, delayed stuff, uh, filter cutoffs and all that kind of thing that was, was starting to become popular at the time. I just, I kind of remember being disappointed. I actually liked parts of it though. I thought there were, there were parts that were pretty cool and different and interesting, but it did not, um, it didn't excite me overall, you know? So typically when I hear club mix, I'm like, all right, great. So you added a pumping kick, um, probably some kind of, um, you know, side chain synthesizer or something to, to go with that kick. And you're pushing a lot of low end and making it a danceable thing. And I'm just not a fan of that kind of stuff. So um, with that being said, though, this one was a, a campfire mix. The other one we have is a version of No More Rhyme. And this is an acoustic mix. So I would imagine it's going to be similar to the campfire mix. I don't know what the difference is, but we'll see. Here it is. exactly sure what qualifies as acoustic for an acoustic mix. I would think an electric piano wouldn't, but it does apparently in this case. Um you get to hear the bass guitar highlighted very well, which is nice, and you also get to feature some of those backing vocals too, which is uh really sweet. While I was listening to that, uh, but but it kind of pointless other than featuring those things for me. Um I was curious as to how many versions of this album there are because I remember seeing a number of different um configurations. And so uh obviously this is the uh the one that I'm playing is a CD bonus version. Then there was a deluxe digipack that had uh additional um we could be together seven inch mix and and so that might be like uh, the single then there's two versions of uh, electric youth one's a DJ edition one's a Latin edit so that might have um featuring just a, mainly the percussion Um, Then there's one uh, track called Without You that uh, I actually am not familiar with. Um, Then there's another deluxe digipack disc two has what, eight more versions of Electric Youth, Electro Mix, Electro Dub, another Electric Dub, Deep House, Shep's House, Shep's House Beats, House Edit, uh, Seven Inch Alternate Latin Edit. Uh, Jesus Christ. I mean, really, this is just, I don't know. That's just a lot. But I guess if you're into that kind of music, it makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure that this music was being played in the clubs a lot. So it probably just made it more playable more often. So, you know, I, 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 am sure it has its relevance, but I mean, to buy a digipack to get eight more versions of electric youth, I mean, how, how many are you going to listen to? How exciting and different could they be? Um, you know, if you've got, okay. So then there was the deluxe digi pack edition DVD that had some music videos, had some live songs. Uh, it looks like the live or just the audio. And then the other ones are the, the music videos. Um, that's pretty cool. And, and um, yeah, I, I, could, I could be sold on that. I'm not a live guy, but I could understand why that would have a better, um, a better relevance. There's a version of her doing in the still of the night. I don't know if that's, it doesn't look like that's the white snake song wouldn't have come out yet. But um, that might be like the old classic uh, song. Um, There's come home, which I guess was from the Wonder Years. Um, Yeah, just a lot of club mixes. And okay, here's like what 12345 versions of we could be together house mix house of tricks, radio mix, live mix from video edit. Yeah, um, bunch of just redundant stuff. But here's where it gets interesting. So according to Wikipedia which as we know is the be all end all of accurate information. But I have found a lot of times there is very accurate information there. Um, So what Debbie is credited with on the album is a lead and backing vocals, piano, keyboards, additional keyboards, and drum programming. I'm not sure what would constitute the difference between keyboards and additional keyboards, unless they decided after the songs were done, you know what, we need more layers. And then she came back and did some more tracks. I don't know. That might be a producer decision. Um, We have... Uh, Fred Czar, who also did keyboards, drum programming, and piano track. It's kind of odd wordly piano tracks instead of just piano. Um, So those were the two main ones that played on like the bulk of of stuff. And then we have like, uh, this is an interesting one. Leslie Ming played hi-hat on tracks one, three, eight, and nine. Not drums, just hi-hat. That's kind of weird. And remember, we already had Debbie doing drum programming. We had Fred doing drum programming, so we know probably most of the album is done with that. We have Lou Appel playing drums on tracks five and six, which is uh, is good. So we know we have at least some five and six where Silent speaks a thousand words. Which wow, that really should have sounded programmed and should have been the one, um, which was a little more upbeat. Uh, but I didn't I, I didn't feel there was anything live about those. So what they may have done is they may have done. Scratch tracks programmed, and then just had him come and play on top of those, not doing anything a human drummer would do, uh, which would be the point to me of bringing in a human drummer. But maybe just to give it that feel or or that sound. I didn't really notice any difference, to be honest. Um, See, that's that's it for uh, for drummers, really. Uh, We have some we have some percussion on here that was played live um, by a couple of guys, but yeah, that's it for drums. So everything else was programmed um, those two sounded programs. So, you know, um, that's why we, the album sounds the way it does. We have quite a few, uh, brass players, which is, is great. Cause we know we have the t- sax, we have a little bit of trumpet. We've got the flute. Um, it's very nice playing on all that. Like I said, I'm not a big fan of the sax, but I, I do appreciate the playing. Um, but also we have, um, a bunch of backing vocalists as well. And you really got to hear it in that, um, which was it, the uh, campfire or the, um, the club or the acoustic mix of no more rhyme. You get to hear a little bit more of those backing vocals, but it wasn't just Debbie. She had other singers on there as well. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good album. I I don't feel from my enjoyment standpoint, I don't feel it was her best work. I feel that was, was yet to come on the next two albums that we'll get to. Um, I think this was a great album, especially for, um, her, her experience level at the time. I mean, she had parents that were in the entertainment industry. She wasn't just some 16 year old kid off the street that started writing music. I mean, she had help. She had support. She probably grew up with learning a lot of things about the business that helped her along the way. Um, obviously, you know, coming off of a double platinum album, she had a, probably a bigger budget because she was now a proven entity. So she could hire more people. Um, Frank Cooper was credited with makeup. There you go. Probably for the album cover. Um, But yeah, good album. Um, I I don't want to sound like I'm down on it or anything because I'm really not. I mean, as I'm as I'm listening to the songs more critically, I'm finding things at my age that I'm identifying with less. And I think a more experienced producer probably would have done differently Um, just with like more dramatic changes in the bridges, more parts to keep the songs interesting instead of just them being so straightforward and straight ahead, having a little bit more dynamics other than just percussion. Um, But vocal layering, singing, uh, a lot of that's great, except for, you know, those instances where I said I kind of just didn't really have a lot of energy for me. Um, But overall, good album. It's one I've enjoyed many, many times. It's one I will continue to enjoy, despite how how critical I am being of it right in this moment but that's i mean that's what the job is right i'm reviewing it i'm i'm saying here's what i like here's what i don't like about it and again for a, a person as young as she was when she did this fucking amazing absolutely fucking amazing and um i mean everything i've done in my life combined has not had a pinch of the success that she did with this album so i can only say as a musician through one set of ears as a fan through another set of ears Here's my experience and thoughts on this album. Obviously, she's got something that I don't because she's, you know, been incredibly successful. And now she's doing like a lot of cruise ship gigs, a lot of, you know, like those 80s uh cruises and stuff. She's been in movies, um, done Broadway, done soundtracks. I mean, she's she's really been a success, and that is absolutely awesome. Uh, so anyway, thanks for checking out this uh long-winded review. Wow, this is uh, over an hour already. Uh, didn't expect that, but we had more to cover than I expected. So there's that. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week or if there are uh, reviews I'm doing for other things where other things pop up before then. Otherwise, I'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Cheers. <laughs>